It's easy to look at the world around us and say there is no peace on earth. There is no goodwill to men. This morning we're going to be looking at God's word and seeing God's goodwill towards men comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what that song is all about. So we praise God for that. The title for this sermon is, What Changed? And if you look in your bulletin, you'll notice, that's the first thing you'll notice that changed. What changed? The title. That was my fault. I got that a little late. But what changed? It's a question that Hannah and I asked ourselves as we were determining, should we send out Christmas cards this year or not? What's changed in our lives this past year? We were scratching our heads trying to think, and not much. We got a different van. We got older. Life continues on as normal, and that's a good thing. But there wasn't anything really newsworthy to send out Christmas cards for. So we didn't get around to it this year. But reading others' letters, it's fun. It's been enjoyable to hear what's going on in other people's lives, to find out what's changed with them. But there are other letters that come. We find out what's changed. And those things bring us sorrow sometimes. Sometimes things don't always change for the better. In the letter of Galatians, we find out something had changed, and it wasn't for the better. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Galatia to respond to them. There's been some teaching that had entered into the church that Paul needed to set straight. He brought the gospel to them, but now they're leaving the gospel, going towards something else. Most people in Galatia weren't Jewish background believers. They're mostly Gentiles. And there is some teaching coming in from Jewish leaders saying, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a good Christian, you need to follow the Jewish laws. And for whatever reason, these Galatians were eating this teaching up. And they were devouring it whole, being led astray by this teaching. So Paul begins his epistle by confronting them. In verse 6 of chapter 1, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. By the grace of Christ, deserting him for a different gospel, which is not another gospel. Believers are being told of a Jesus plus gospel, that Jesus wasn't enough, but there is still something needing to be done in order to be saved. At the time of the letter, this Jesus plus crowd was the Judaizers, insisting that they have to go back to the Jewish law. In our current context, we don't necessarily hear those demands so much. However, you can still hear another gospel being preached. Another gospel that, in fact, is not the gospel. So has the gospel changed? The gospel is still the same as it has always been. But there are those who are preaching a tainted gospel. Those who tinker with its purity. And for whatever reason, they proclaim it again and again and again. And I'm sure they mean well, but what they're preaching is not the gospel. It's a gospel that points to you. And that is no gospel. That is not good news. So the question comes, what then is the gospel? The book of Galatians is a fiery defense of what the gospel is. And Paul makes it very clear what it is. It's a passionate proclamation that salvation comes by grace alone and not by works. That salvation comes by promise and not by law. And Paul again declares the gospel to the Galatians to help them see once more 
that the gospel has not changed. I'd encourage you sometime this week today to sit down with your family and read through this epistle. It's only six chapters. You can get it done fairly soon. And ask yourself the question, how am I saved? But for today, we won't be looking at that. We'll be looking at Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. And as I read this scripture again, I'll invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. And as we read the passage, ask yourself the question here. What changed? What changed as Paul is writing to these Galatians? I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word. As I read Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Reading in Jesus' name. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from a slave, although he is owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, born so that, we might rede- so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Father God, these are your words, and your word is truth. We pray this morning that you would sanctify us through your truth, that your word would do its purposes and desires in our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Under bondage. As Paul starts out this section, he uses an analogy to show that we are under bondage. He uses the picture of an inheritance, and that's pretty simple for us to understand. For those of you who've had living wills when your kids were growing up, or maybe you still do, did you leave everything to them when they were just three years old, five years old, six years old? It might not be the wisest thing to do. I don't know a whole lot about wills, and I'm not all that familiar with them, but I'm sure I will be someday. But you're probably better off to entrust everything that you've worked hard for, everything that you've earned, to someone else who will take care of it until a certain time when your kids can handle it themselves. This is what Paul is getting at here. At some point, though, you set a date and say, at this time, this inheritance will belong to my kids. And the example Paul uses, he says that an heir is no different than a slave here. Even though legally the inheritance is his, it's not his yet. So he continues under a guardian and under a manager. No different than a slave would. And it's important to note here to remove our American context of slavery, to go back to what slavery was like back when Paul is writing this letter. It's not a racial slavery. Slaves were often raising other people's kids. They had managers in charge of the household. So you could have your kid and do your daily things, and someone else would be raising them. A servant of yours would be raising them. And as the servant's kids were playing along with your kids, you couldn't tell who was the master's kid and who was the servant's kid. Even though that that master's kid still was the rightful heir. But until a certain time came, that master's kid was under manager's and guardians. The question comes, how will anybody know when this heir is ready to receive the inheritance? What does Paul say? 
in verse 2. He says, until the date set by the Father. The actualization or the realization of this inheritance doesn't depend on the child. Paul doesn't say here the child must finish college and get a college degree before it becomes his and then he has it. He simply says, by the date set by the Father. And so the child waits for that time. And this inheritance is only as good as the promise of the Father is fulfilled. In verse 3, Paul applies this example. He says, just as a child was under bondage and no different than a slave to the things until the promised time of the Father, so we also are under bondage. Under bondage to the elemental things of the world. Luther describes this bondage as being the tyranny of the law. And I'm sure everyone understands what that's like. The law telling you, again, reigning in your consciences, saying you're not good enough. Saying that you've sinned. This is perfection and this is where you rank and somehow you better make yourself up to this way. And so we work and we strive over and over and over again. But the law only accuses us. It only terrifies us. It only condemns us before God saying you're not good enough. The law which tells us that we must love God above all things. The law which tells us we serve a just God. How can you love someone who is just when you know that you are not just? If you're speeding and the lights come on on a cop car, you don't love that police officer because you know he's coming to get you to fulfill the law. We don't love the law. We don't love God because of the law. And yet the law still demands that we love God above everything else. But the law can never produce love. But the law serves its purpose. Paul says earlier in chapter 3 that it has come to become our tutor in order to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith and not works. The law accuses us and it reminds us again and again that we are inadequate, that you can never do enough, that you have to try harder, you must do better, you must obey perfectly. And so we strive after these things. But this striving is not the gospel. This striving is not what changes us from being slaves into being sons. And this striving only tightens the noose of the law around our neck, killing us. But something changed. What was it? Look at the words in chapter 3, or in verse 3 of chapter 4. As Paul writes this, what tense is he using? He's using past tense. While we were children, we were held. And Lenski notes that the grammar used here in this verse refers to something that started at a specific point and ended at a specific point. And it no longer continues on. This time that Lenski is referring to, this time that Paul is referring to, this beginning point is when the law was given to Moses at Mount Sinai. And this ending point is when something changed. But what changed? Did the law change? Did God's justice change? Did God change? Did his requirements change? That's not what changed. The answer is found in verse 4. What changed is God sent. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, so that he might redeem those who were under law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Something happened here and something changed. And this fact that changed is God sent forth his son. 
God acted in the fullness of time. When this date set by the Father had arrived, God moved himself into action. And he sent forth his Son. Out from God came his Son. The emphasis being here that out of the very Godness, out of the Trinity, out of God himself, comes God himself. This is truly God. And he continues on. Out from God, God sent his Son, born of a woman. This God that was sent, Jesus Christ, God's Son, is also full man, being born, as, born from a woman. In that little town of Bethlehem, there at Mary's breast, nurse the Son of God made flesh, the God-man, Jesus Christ. Life itself humbles himself to find life and sustenance from his mother's breast. The God-man, Jesus Christ. Christ was born under law. God sent him to be born under law. And some translations insert a little word here. The NIV doesn't, but my translation does. A little word that can be misleading. And this is the word the, the definite article. Saying here that Jesus was born under the law. And if that article is there, it refers just to the Jewish law. And while the Jewish law definitely fits the context, the context of the book of Galatians is much broader than Jewish law. So the NIV has it right when they don't have the article. It says he was born under law. All law. All law that all people are under. Everything that God demands of all people. And what is it that God demands? Perfection. God demands holiness. God demands obedience. God demands to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. God demands that you have no other gods before you. God demands righteousness. And the Jews had their own rules and regulations that set them apart from others, which would be the law, but all people are under law. And our sin places us under judgment. And that sin is not just overlooked. That judgment is not just overlooked. And so Christ comes from God, born of a woman, born under law. And being under law, he was presented at the temple. He was circumcised like all Jewish boys were on the eighth day. He attended the feast. He participated in temple worship. And though he was God's word made flesh, he learned God's word. He fasted and he prayed. He fulfilled everything the Jewish law was set up for. And he obeyed it. But he also was born under law in general, all law. And he obeyed God perfectly. He said no to temptation when temptation came over and over Again, and he actively obeyed God, his father, the whole for his whole earthly life. Even when God called him to do something he really didn't want to do. Even when God called him to do something when he was exhausted and tired and hungry. Even when God called him to give his life on the cross. So you remember the words from the garden, Jesus saying, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus obeyed perfectly. He was sent under law. Also that you and I, also that all people under law, who are under the wrath and judgment of God because of our sins, which our sins require and which our sins have earned for us, also that we would be redeemed from 
law. Also that our sin would be paid for so that we would be reconciled to God and no longer would we be in bondage under law anymore. No longer would our consciences condemn us. They wouldn't have anything to say to us. Sure, they will continue to remind us that you are a sinner. You are a sinner. You fall short again and again. But since Christ was born under law to redeem those under law, that doesn't condemn us anymore because we know that Christ has paid the price for that. And so it leads us to Christ. It leads us to being justified by grace through faith in what he has done. Some look at Christ as an example. And indeed, he is an example. He is our example in how we ought to live our lives. But if we leave him just as an example, Christ becomes another law for us to follow. Another impossible requirement that we must daily strive to meet in hopes that one day, in hopes that one day, we might maybe be good enough for him. And we might measure up. And you've heard these statements before, I'm sure of it. Statements like, Jesus woke up early to spend time with his father in prayer. And if Jesus did that, how much more do you need to do that? It's true, we do need to do that. Statements like, Jesus fasted. Jesus gave up his life in service of God. Jesus never gave in to temptation. And yes, these are an example for us. And yes, we should follow in his footsteps. But if Christ is just an example, we're lost and we're damned because we'll never measure up to him. The gospel declares that Christ was born under law to redeem those from law. That Christ submitted himself to the law because you and I never could. Because you and I could never be Jesus, could never obey perfectly. Christ came and did that for you. And that's the gospel. We are now heirs through God. Not only was Jesus sent to redeem us from law, but that we might receive the adoption as sons. Look at verses 6 and 7 in the text. Verses 6 and 7, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Is there any hesitancy to Paul's words? Is there any uncertainty here in Paul's words? No, he simply is declaring a matter of fact, a statement. And this is the gospel. What Christ has done for you. The gospel is not you need to receive Christ as Savior and Lord. The gospel is not you need to repent. The gospel is not you need to be more like Jesus. The gospel is not you need to let God gives you the power to transform your life so you better do it. The gospel is not God does most of the work but there's still a little tiny thing that you must do. The gospel plain and simply and beautifully and purely is the declaration of verse 7 that we see in this text. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Through God and through God alone, by grace alone, you are a son. The only reason that we are no longer slaves, the only reason that we are no longer under the law, is because in the fullness of time and sent his son to live under the law, to redeem us from law. 
The only reason why adoption as sons is possible is because Christ has redeemed us. And the only reason we are adopted is because God has sent forth his son. And we know this because he has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts. Notice something here. Who is working in this text? Who is the one who is acting? What changed in order to change us from being slaves to being sons? It's not our receiving. It is not our obedience. It is not our working. It's not our lack of rejection either. It's not by law, but it's by the gracious promise of God. And this is what it has always been. This always will be and has always been the reason why and how people are saved by the gracious promise of God through Christ and not by works. The Galatians are being told by these Jewish leaders that it's Christ and something else. They're being pointed back to the very chains that they had been released from, the very chains that the gospel frees them from, the very chains that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ has released them from. They're being told, put these on and you'll be free. Put these on. I know they're not comfortable, but it's necessary for your freedom. And the gospel of Christ says it is not necessary. There is nothing attached to the gospel. There is no chains attached. There is nothing we must do attached to it. It is purely and only what God has done for us. He And he alone, by his grace alone, has redeemed us from under law. He and he alone, by his grace alone, has adopted you as a son. He and he alone, by grace alone, has sent his spirit into our hearts. And so because of God's acting, we are heirs. And the only person we can attribute that to is God. In verse 7, Paul again mentions the means by which we are saved. You are an heir Through God. What changed? What changed to change us from being slaves to being sons? What changed is that God in his grace has redeemed us and claimed us as his own. And there's no law that we must revert back to. When the law accuses us of our sin and when our sin accuses us, saying, you must do this, you look to Christ who has done everything in order to save you, who has redeemed you, from law. So what is the gospel? And what is the good news? It's the promise and the historical truth that God has sent his son to redeem those who are under law, to redeem you who are under law. And how are we saved? By the grace of God and not by works of man, by the promise of God and not by our keeping of the law. It is only by the work of God And so whenever you are pointed to your work instead of Christ's completed work, recognize and understand that that is not gospel. Paul writes in no uncertain terms, if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. The gospel and the gospel alone is what saves us. The gospel is what makes us heirs. God's choosing us from the beginning of time and giving us his son through his grace is what saves us. And so the necessary question comes, how does this gospel come to me? How does this grace of God come to me? 
And the answer is the same way it has always been received, by grace through faith. How does God's grace come to us? God's grace comes to us today through means, through the word of God and the promises that it declares. The promises that it declares to you in baptism. And as you are baptized, you are baptized into Christ Jesus. It is no longer you who lives, but Christ who lives in you. And you are united with Christ. The promises that God gives his true body and his true blood in communion. That as we receive his body and blood, as the word of God declares, for the forgiveness of sins, we are forgiven. And God's grace comes to us again. However, these things would all mean nothing, would all be for naught, had God not sent Christ to redeem us from law. And the answer to the question of what changed so that we are no longer slaves, but we are now sons and heirs of God, is that the grace of God was sent to you in Christ Jesus. And that is the gospel. And that is the truth that we must never leave. We must always come back to again. We are saved by grace through faith because God in the fullness of time sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those who are under law, that you and I might receive adoption as sons and be heirs of God through God. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you and we praise you that your word reveals to us what you have done in order to save us. We thank you, Father, for giving us freedom and release from the bondage of the law, from the tyranny of the law, which continues to tell us that we don't measure up, that we must try harder, which breaks us over our sin. Thank you, Father, that this law has come to point us to Christ, the one who has redeemed us from the law, the one who has made satisfaction for all of our sins. We praise you for that. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, being born of a woman, born under law, obeying perfectly so that we might be saved, that we might be included as heirs of the kingdom of God. We praise you for that. Help us to live in this realization today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.